Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yeah. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. What's up, Seminole Headlines podcasters? Thanks so much for listening to the program. As always, the podcast brought to you in part by our friends at the Morgan Law Group. Today, no different. Appreciate them enabling us to do this for you. What else they'll do for you is uh, work hard throughout the state to ensure uh, that the insurance companies are doing the right thing and they're not acting in bad faith. Uh, they will they'll get after the insurer if they are. They'll inspect and assess the loss on your behalf. By the way, they are throughout the state just because an insurance company tells you no or there's a certain amount that they're willing to give out doesn't mean that's the end of the story. Find out more. Go to policyadvocate.com. That'd be policyadvocate.com. Or call 888-904-2524. Onward we go with Seminole Headlines. It's time for Seminole Headlines, presented by Capital City Bank, featuring ESPN Tallahassee's Jeff Cameron, Warchant.com's managing editor, Ira Chauffel, and senior writer, Corey Clark. Your weekly dose of all things FSU, pistols, and pies starts right now. Here's Jeff Cameron. The Seminole Headlines on Seminole ESPN Radio begins right now. You bet it does. Good times. There's Ira, there's Corey's bald, bright head right there, and I'm Got one shining right back at you, buddy. It's uh, brought to you by our good friends. Uh, I Whitney. Listen, this is an expanding group, Ira. You were just telling me off air. Yay Sausage and Register Sausage is doing things. I don't know. The Seminole Headlines connection is undeniable at this point. So I hope they enjoy this discounted rate for about six more months. After that, breaking the bank, baby. They've gotten huge. Big big news coming out of the Register Sausage uh, conglomerate. Uh, yeah, man, he there. Uh, I was talking to Ben, and he was saying that you know people have supported the product so much. You know, not only is it uh, you know run by an FSU grad, and uh, you know it's a it's a regional local uh, company that employs a lot of people in the Panhandle, um, and just is a great product. Uh, but people like it so much; it's done so well that they're expanding now. They're going to be in. They've already been in a lot of grocery stores in the Panhandle and. Uh, North Florida, South Georgia, they're expanding to 240 new stores. Winn Dixie's and Harvey's, uh, you're going to see them in Jacksonville, St. Augustine, Orlando, Tampa, South Georgia, and South Alabama. So all the people that have been ordering it at registermeats.com, which is always appreciated. And uh, he's had he broke out another promo code the other night on Twitter. Yeah. Um, that's all awesome. You can do that. But if you live in those areas, you're going to start seeing it in uh, more of your grocery stores. And also – um, check out their social media at register sausage on all platforms, uh, because they're going to put out the new store map, which will tell you where you can get it in person. And you can, as we said, unless you're one of those losers in Alaska, you can order it uh, online and get, uh, shipping. It'll come frozen and, uh, really, uh, quality sausage for your, uh, 
Yeah, the criminals, needs. the criminals in Alaska are going to have to do without, but it'll but be Hawaii. Right. They're cool in Hawaii. I forget. Yeah, they're not criminals yeah. in Hawaii. Yeah. Well, you know, they can't get in Hawaii either, but they're not necessarily losers and criminals. Oh, right. I got you. Okay, but every but state continuous. Yeah. The continental United States, no matter where you are, you can get it. Just not in those two crazy. We hey, believe hey. we're not, and we're not even sure about that. They may be able to get it, but I, but look. You know, that's not the core of the business. That's not the core right. of the headliner business. No. And uh, But anyway, Register Meats is the registermeats.com is the website, reg, at Register Sausage on uh, different social media platforms, and you can get the, uh, the store map and check them out. I feel How's bad, though, for those fishermen in Alaska. That's a really dangerous job. And wouldn't it be nice your last meal before you go overboard and never see humanity again that it's an Andouille sausage? You know what I mean? Like, wouldn't that be a nice thing? And you're you're sitting in the you're eating in the what do they call it? The galley. You got your andouille sausage, and then you got to go lift up the pots of crabs, and you fall overboard. You're making a little called, gumbo. Is it called the galley? I thought so. Isn't that what you call a kitchen in a, on a boat? Perhaps I think you might be right. My brother's a marine biologist and owns two boats, and I know nothing about boats. I have no idea. He could tell every time I'm on his boat, he'll tell me to go someplace on the boat that has a specific name, and I'm like, what? The just stern. Say, get, up, get up to the stern. Go to the, just go to the front. Just say go to the front. <laughs> Let me ask yeah, you this. Yeah. Now they do these uh, space travel for the rich people. Yeah. If, if Corey writes your brother a check, will he take us on a boat to Alaska? And, and, to and Alaska. No, an expedition? Nobody would take you deep sea fishing in Florida. Hmm. He, no, would also take you, he would also take you down uh, the highways and byways and rivers all throughout the state. He's... he's uh, He's seen every waterway system there is in the state of Florida. We we like want deep sea fishing's easily the best way to kill a person, right, and get away with it. Because nobody's actually... out there. There's no cameras. You just say, "Man, they fell overboard." I tried for seven hours to find the person. I just couldn't. Yeah. Well, Thomas, Thomas French, uh, longtime writer for the St. Pete Times, who now is, uh, I think, on the faculty at a, at a university. He wrote a Angels and Demons. He it was a series in the St. Pete Times. Jeff, you may remember it was when we were in I, college. I read it about a serial killer, Oba Chandler, who uh, took yes. uh, a lady. Oh and yeah, her took that family. The mom. Well, the let's hey, let's start talking about Florida State. That's. I an was awful about story. to say, where are we going here? Because that I was, was trying to be light. <laughs> I was trying to be lighthearted with the death on a. You were trying. You were trying that. You were trying to be lighthearted when you said that's the way to. That's the easiest way to kill. <laughs> yeah, a person. I mean, it was just you know, it was fantasizing. You brought it into reality. Okay. Ira, when you brought up the St. Pete Times, in my head, I went, I know where he's going. Don't do it. Don't yeah. do it. I know the series. Let's I start read it. Over. Yeah, Let's start it was over. really, really well done, but also unbelievably tragic. Yeah. On that note, man, can you imagine if Mike Norvell wins a few football games, what's going to happen? Holy jeez, he's just reeling them in, baby. 2022 is loaded. Speaking of deep he, sea fishing. Yeah, he's, he's boating some marlins. You like that? He's boating some like big that? fish. Uh, yeah, man, it's pretty, it's pretty crazy what he's doing. And I, I mean, I keep going back to like, people always worried about Travis Hunter leaving or, or this guy leaving or not committing. And it's like, well, look what they're committing to right now. They're committing to a school that's are they're just coming off a three and six season. We can't foresee this season coming up being worse. And if they're already willing to commit to a three and six team, then that seems like they'd be kind of firm. Like, what would you see in 2021? that would give you more pause than what you just saw in that debacle of 2020. Like, and they're just, they're getting really good players. You, th you think like Dan Mullen or Manny or whoever, they're like calling up these kids after they commit to Florida state and like, Hey man, did you see them play? Did you, 
I would just send you YouTube to- clips. <laughs> I would just send them the condensed game of Louisville and Florida State and say, really? With a question mark. You just committed to Florida State? I had a I had a theory about this on yesterday's show. I was telling Tom, the three of us in some capacity have either watched, covered, cheered for, analyzed, spoken about the big three in this state for well over two decades now. It goes back even further, okay? Yeah, three. Yeah. yeah. So one of the things that I thought about was, you know, Yes, it's true that typically when one of the big three rises, one of the other ones is down. Now, we've had these rare moments and pockets of time, and Corey, you want to write a book about it, and you should, where all three are whooping ass and they're on the front cover of Sports Illustrated and all of that. But most of the time, one of them is down and another one takes advantage and comes up to find equality with one of the other big ones that's already there. And and you can never seem to sustain the dominance over the others for too long. Do you think that's just because there are too many good players in the region and or there's enough cachet built up by all three of the universities in this state that it's always sort of lingering there? Like, even if you were in high school as a player and you didn't see Florida State win, you're around adults that either coached you or taught you or live in your neighborhood that can tell you how great Florida State has been. Same with Miami, same with Florida. And thus, you're never too far out of reach. And and maybe they're they're of interest when they otherwise wouldn't be based on record. But it's true. Like, they're getting commitments now from kids that based on what they've done the last four years, they have no business getting. Is that just because those kids want to go and play somewhere, they got a chance right away, you can sell playing time, and B – they're aware of the legacy of these of the of the big three. Yeah, I think it's I think it's both, but I think mainly, yeah, they're aware of it. Especially when you grow up in the state, it's not like Florida State was. We're talking about eons ago. It's not like Miami, where where they haven't been dominant in twenty years. They were the best program in the country five years ago, and these kids were. I mean, were they late elementary, middle school? I mean, that's when you're starting to become a sports fan. These these guys know who Jameis Winston is and and uh, Jalen Ramsey and Derwin James. They remember those days. So I think I think it's that, and I think it's, you know, history speaks for itself. Florida State, I, even now, they still might be the winningest team since 1980. Maybe Alabama's overtaken them, but they're still one of the preeminent programs in the country. So they do have that cachet. They do have an iconic brand, as I like to say. Yeah. So um, I do think that matters. I don't. It's easier to sell Florida State on an uptick. Like we'll get there quicker. Like when you're doing a rebuilding job, it's easier to sell Florida State's rebuild than it is Georgia Tech. So I, I think I think that has a I think that has a lot to do with it. Well, that's yeah, because think, Georgia Tech rebuilds in perpetuity. Yes. Uh, yes. Although they stopped wearing the Russell, they've uh, they moved past the Russell athletic gear, <laughs> so that's that's got to help them a little bit. Um, I think they made the move to Adidas, but uh, yeah, you know, I think it's the two things. One is like Corey said, it's not that long ago because I mean I think back to so many times when I think about when I was a kid, like the top athletes, I go back to being in sixth grade, and it's Marvin Hagler and Thomas Hearns and. Yeah. You know, it's Kareem and it's Magic Johnson, and, and you, I know, you just you were more of a Rocky Marciano guy. Actually, <laughs> no, actually, I came right behind, right after Rocky Marciano. Yeah. <laughs> just, missed, just missed the window. Yeah, just missed his, it. Yeah, his uh, yeah. peak. I got gotcha. you. Yeah, um, more Sugar Ray Robinson. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, that he was good. Jake Lamada. Yeah, right. Uh, but anyway, he. Um, but you know, so like those, like that. That was. Like when you first become a sports fan, when you're 10 years old or eight years old or whatever, like those are the first, you just assume those have been the biggest names forever because those are the, the names, you know, 
Um, so if you were, you know, if you're 16 or 18 now, I would imagine when you grew up, when you started getting to know Flo- yeah, college t- football, years old, yeah. Jameis Winston is it. Florida State, Devontae Freeman, Dalvin Cook. I mean, even when Florida State wasn't great in the, you know, Jimbo's last few years, they had Dalvin freaking Cook and Jalen Ramsey. So I think they're still, you know, prominent from that standpoint. But then, uh, as you guys said, I mean, I think you you look at, um, you know, the opportunity for playing time, the opportunity to it's always fresh to sell the idea that you're going to come in and, and make a difference. And then I really think there needs to be a flashpoint. There needs to be something that kind of ignites it. And I really think it was Mackenzie Milton and, and those transfers. I mean, I think that just played a big part in it, uh, kind of setting it off. Well, the excitement is palpable for the first time in a long time. I can tell you that. Like I, I've each time that you've gotten just an uptick or a measure of good news, you've kind of braced for the bad news, and then you've tried to step back and put it in perspective and thought they're still eons away. But something about this, the last you know couple of guys that have said yes, and I think perhaps married to the fact that Florida got such devastatingly bad news. They had a great player leave and a kid that commits to Florida State that was committed to Florida. I, I throw in the mix that Clemson lost their all-ACC corner. It was just a banner weekend in that sense. Now, not on the hardwood or the diamond. Uh, no. No, no, no good news really on the actual playing field of the big three. Now, off the, out of the big three, uh, outside the big three, there, there was, it was a very successful weekend. I understand that. But, yeah, it was kind of weird on the heels of all of that to get that commitment on a Sunday and to now see basically two five-star kids in this group and a couple of legacies that will be on the way that will only bolster that class more you really do finally have a measure of hope to look to and say, okay, that's the kind of class Florida State used to bring in, or at least they're beginning to build the kind of class that Florida State was accustomed to bringing in. And that does, it makes you see the light at the end of the tunnel. It's been so long since there's even been any hope. Isn't this season? If if it ends up being like a top eight, top 10 class, then it can have the similar effect of the class of 2010 in the sense that they knew what they were getting into. They weren't coming to Florida State to win a national championship right away. They were coming to build something. And I think to maybe win a national championship two or three years down the road, like Telvin and LaMarcus did. And I think, I think that's a different mindset when you come into a school than the 19 five stars that are going to sign with Alabama. Like, I, I just think it's different when you're going somewhere. It says something about you, in my opinion, when you go to a place that's won three games the year before and you could go anywhere in the country. I think that says something about what you're trying to build. And I think they'll... Um, I just think there, there's a chance it could be something pretty special two or three years down the road. You think they come in ready to work? Yeah, yeah. They they know they're not coming for glamour right away. They know they're not winning. They're not going to be standing on a podium uh, ten months from now. You know that's not happening. So uh, so I, I do think they come in with maybe a different mindset than a kid that's going to Alabama. But you really, I think you look at this next, you know, eight months or nine months of because there is potential, like you said, with the guys they've already got committed. And then you know, some Mar- like Marvin Jones Jr. and some of those other guys that are out there, yeah, coming coming down the line, um, you you get excited about the potential, but it's like I'm trying to think of the analogy where like you 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 know there's something great coming, but you got to get there. Like it's not it's not there, it's not in your hand yet. You know, like you, they yeah. they have to produce something this season, and I think that's what uh, one of the things uh, you know I think Mike Norvell is preaching. Um, you know is he goes around and talks to donors and things like that. We just put up a story about some of the, uh, on warchant.com about some of the events they're doing, uh, kind of a, a, a slimmed down, smaller, uh, booster tour because of, uh, 
social distancing. They're only going out to small groups. But one of the things he's telling people is, you know, that's part of why we went out and got those transfers is because they knew they had to have a product on the field that was successful this fall. That's not really what he wants to do. He's said that a couple of times now that he doesn't necessarily want to be a program that's always just reloading transfers every year. But he felt like this year they have a chance to, to, to really do well in recruiting. They have to have success on the field. He knows they can't go five and eight, five and seven, or, or, you know, something like that and keep this class together. So that, so it's, it's in place, it's there, but they, they have to actually produce something this fall to reel it in. We'll, we'll, we'll cup, we'll, Piggyback off that here in a moment. Seminole Headlines, 97.9 ESPN Radio continues in a moment. Seminole Headlines will take a breather. More next. Seminole Headlines returns now on 97.9 ESPN Radio. Yeah, so what do we think the number is, guys? We were just talking about it before the break. I mean, I don't know there's a magic number. If 6-6 six and six is a bridge too far for some of those recruits where they go, oh, man, it's not improving fast enough. Or do you think it's more about how you look when you play these games? If you're competitive in a loss to Notre Dame and Clemson and Florida and Miami, uh, and you win a couple of those 50-50 games, and certainly the ones that you're supposed to win, that should probably be enough. I know we get caught up in this all the time, but fans really do love to talk about, and I think we all do to some degree, You know, what is a realistic expectation for wins? And I, I would say this, one factor that I continue to harp on that we just tend to overlook I understand personnel has to improve, but just having the time spent together in a normal year where you can work out and the nutrition is monitored as long as it normally would be and as extensively as it normally would be, the seven-on-sevens, a summer together, a real spring, all of that time instilling and installing and doing the things that you expect that you didn't get to do a year ago will, I think, make a dramatic difference, at least in how they look. Yeah, I don't know that there's a number on it. Again, like I said, I, I don't know that it need that it needs to be more than six wins to to keep this class together. They're joining a class that they're joining a team that just won three games, so I don't know that it's necessarily. I I don't think I don't think Travis Hunter. I hope he's not expecting nine wins this season. I hope the kid, what's his name, Sam McCall. I yeah. hope he doesn't. I hope he didn't commit saying, "Okay, man, I can't wait to see y'all go ten and two. I don't think they have those expectations. I think, like Jeff said, it's more about how they look. You can't look completely uncoordinated, like not not like a you know, the uncoordinated. Like there's no coach coordinating you. It's not, not, well, I guess both 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 uh, ways that word works applies there, um, both meanings. But uh, yeah, I mean, I just think you if you if you win some games, but you just look competent and you look like you're improving, I think that's enough. They know they're not joining a national championship caliber program right now. They don't uh, want to join one that goes 0 and 12 or 3 and 9. They they don't want to go join one that takes a step back, but I think if you see real improvement even if it's to six wins, five or six wins, I think that could be enough depending on what it looks like. Yeah, but I think it's it, part of it's going to depend on like how it, how the first half I really think the first half of the season is going to really determine a lot of this because you know if you come out and if you if you don't play well against Notre Dame, you're not you know nobody's going to be watching Jacksonville State. Then you got Wake Forest, Louisville, Syracuse. If you that should be their big recruiting weekend. Yeah, but even if you just State weekend, <laughs> even if you just slop through and win two of those three games, you know what I'm saying? Like if you're if you're not impressive at that point by four or five games into the season, I think you have a hard time keeping some of those kids because all of these other coaches are going to be doing what I said they're probably doing already, which is, hey man, are you watching them? Are you really going there? This is year two now, like. Come here and win some games. You're going to go there and go four and eight. So I really think it's important. I think they could 
tail off at late in the season when they play that tougher stretch and be okay with it because at least you've shown some progress and it'll be right there closing on that early signing period. I just think they, they cannot slop through the first half of the season. I mean, don't, needs you think to be it's funny, don't you think it's funny that we sit here and the more we talk and we vet this and we go through these talking points about what's a reasonable expectation and what is it, I feel like we always come back to the wake game. Like That's the a, damn wake game is going to be the biggest damn game of the year. Like you can't go and suck against wake because I think it derails everything. Like, you could lose to Notre Dame, and I'd like you to be competitive, and surely I'd like you to be in the game in the second half. But if you lose that game, it's not the end of the world. Nobody's freaking out. Notre Dame's been, Notre Dame's been a good team for some time now. But good God, man, if you go and lose to Wake, people are going to be like, again? Again with this? The middling teams of the ACC are just having their way with us? Wait, yeah, it's that's a, not Wake's, happening. Wake's a benchmark for Florida State football, man. It's I mean, it was, the end, it was the end for Coach Bowden. Uh, it was – yeah. You yeah. know, it was it. It might have been the end for Willie. I mean, you know, it's a it's a significant that it, Jimbo is the one guy that overcame an ugly loss at Wake. Oh, uh, that was a hideous loss. He tried to keep EJ Manuel on the bench. Came off a bye and lost that game for Christ's sakes. Yeah, that was his third loss in a row. And that was the night I remember after the game. All of a sudden, Mario Edwards is thinking twice about whether he wants to come to Florida State. He's opening up his recruitment. Um, that kind of stuff does happen. Um, I think those kids were expecting a quicker ascension than, uh, you know, that 2011 class. But, uh, yeah, man, I, I just think that, I, again, I think it's how they look. Slopping through it is the way to say it. If they don't, if they lose some games, but don't, but it, they're, they're like. Especially defense. If they're leaving guys wide open, if the middle of the field is just open for business all day, if you don't see any improvement yeah. in those areas, well, man, I mean, it's just going to be hard to sell. But then the selling point is like, hey, Sam. That's because we don't have you here, dude. You and Travis Hunter are going to make the difference. I mean, I granted, I get it, but you, we can't. Nobody can go into this season with a with a strict number in mind. Like, what's it going to take to keep Travis Hunter and Sam McCall? What well, do they need they to see? They can't. But you have to look competent. You do have to look competent. Uh, absolutely, yeah. 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 You yeah. can't look and, completely and I, uncoordinated. We just shouldn't bring up the defense anymore on this show because the second you do, I get pissed off thinking about how ridiculous it was. That's just an embarrassment for all the ages. In the history of Florida State football, that year last year is an abomination. That was ridiculous. And I, all the pressure in the world is on Adam Fuller. That's it. That's all there is. It's all on him. Like, you can't look incompetent like that again next year. You can't. Well, and as a, as a recruit, w one of the biggest things you want to know is that you're going to be put in position to succeed. So if you look at a guy, if they look at a Travis J, if they look at a some of these guys who are elite athletes, I mean, you, you can't. I've had people say like, "Oh, I don't know, is Travis J really that athletic? You know, he didn't show much." Look at that one-handed catch he had, the interception he had. Guy's a phenomenal athlete. But if you see phenomenal athletes not producing and not making an impact, then you Ever. start to question whether they're put in positions to succeed. So yeah, man, this is. It's a huge year for Adam Fuller, but but in turn, you know, if the product doesn't doesn't look better, could have a big impact on the entire program. It chokes Mike me Dorval. up, too, Ira. It yeah, it's choking us all up. I, just I'm thinking about that. just thinking about the defense against yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah, two two Atwell. It's I think guys. two two Atwell and Jamie and Hawkins get choked up thinking about the Florida <laughs> State defense too. <laughs> yeah, I mean. When people bring it up in my inner circle, they're like, they're like, oh, don't, don't do it. Don't do it. Cameron's sitting here. I know what's going to happen. We're going to have to yeah. listen to 20 minutes of him bitching about that defense. Uh, no, I, I got to imagine Noel's everywhere. Just the mere thought of it, it, it makes him queasy. 
Uh, or or clipped like Ira was just a moment hey, ago. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Where where's the plaque these days? Because oh, we obviously uh, didn't we obviously didn't put it up. It's in it's in the it's in the other studio from where I'm sitting currently, and it's resting up against the soundproof wall, looking for a home. Yeah, it needs to be in the bathroom, face down. Just Basically, right by the toilet. like you watching a Netflix show before a colonoscopy. <laughs> yeah, just flip it around so it's yeah, have it on the. That's right, have it on the back of the toilet. I'm gonna hang it up facing the wrong direction. It's just gonna be a tiny piece of wood. Do we need to? Do we need to burn the the, the plaque? Is like a sacrifice? Do we need to throw? Do we need to throw it off the boat? Oh, man, it'll happen, right? We we we're gonna save it for the time it happens. It might happen this year, guys. They got a lot of good transfers that no yeah. that no football plays. But then the the joy of that is we get to sneak into Doak and go to the den of iniquity, the smoke filled piece of garbage that is the little beer drinking area, and um in smoking area and put up. Well, now you can drink beer in the stands too. So yeah, I mean, I guess I shouldn't say that, but it's a little smoking area and we'll put it up there. And some diehard Seminole Headlines listener who has never been able to shake that bad habit is going to go have that cigarette and go, there it is. There it is. They did it. They They did did it. it. What a season. Yeah. They'll have to put that up and send a picture to us. It'll be great. We'll post it. Seminole Headlines, 97.9 ESPN Radio continues in a moment. Seminole Headlines will take a breather. More next. Seminole Headlines returns now on 97.9 ESPN Radio. All right. So I think we have to segue at some point and mention uh, Machine Gun Kelly. That's a good point. I looked him up the other day, Jeff, just out of curiosity, (laughs) because I was like, I have heard of him. Yeah. So I must know one or two of his songs. So I got on YouTube. And I just looked up like the ones that had the bit the most views, like four hundred million or something. All garbage. And uh, I played them. Didn't didn't know any of them. But also, I don't think the three of us obviously didn't know this. He got into like a uh, a uh, beef with Eminem. A, yeah, beef with Eminem. Oh, so you read up on that too then? Yeah, I went home to my kids and said, "Who the hell is this Machine Gun Kelly guy?" And they said, "He sucks, Dad." And I said, "Well, what's the deal?" And they said, "Well, he kind of got famous because he said something stupid, and Eminem crushed him." And yeah. then, well, and he then, made a he made a diss track about Eminem, and then Eminem made a diss track about him, and I listened to both. And I'll be honest with you guys, <laughs> it was an even fight. I thought Machine Gun Kelly handled he held his own, didn't well. he? Yeah, he held his own, but Eminem, yeah, Eminem had some really good lines. So, guys, when you're done with this. Uh, Eminem's is called Kill Shot, and the other I can't remember the other one, Rap Devil maybe. But uh, great, great time, great seven minutes of my life watching. You can listen to those as you're reading uh, Angels and Demons, and just uh, you know just soak up the whole experience. He actually, he actually, Corey, as you know, I've got uh, three kids, teenage kids, and uh, the uh, he's he did a duet with uh, Camila Cabello called bad things which is a nice ditty man it's not it's not a bad little pop song so oh you should okay. check that out as well i don't know who camilla cabello is um She's the one but... that did the duet with machine gun kelly oh that's very <laughs> big that's huge i should give it like damn it what's wrong with me um but but i do know he's an actor that's by him. the way i think kevin bacon's in this movie with them by the way yeah we brought it up man we yeah. brought it up yeah so there's a real actor to offset that his dumb ass and right. there you go it'll be good yeah we'll all we'll all watch for thomasville It'll be fun. What would That's be the shooting. what would be the equivalent of us like when Kevin Bacon does a movie like that? Like us, if if somebody called you from a radio station in like I don't know, man, Albuquerque, and said, "Hey, dude, we'll give you twenty bucks if you just come on for an hour a night." Twenty like, bucks? I mean, what is that, what's the what equivalent? Do you, do I don't know. From, well, I mean, from <laughs> Kevin Bacon and what he makes for a real film to what yeah. he's going to make for that versus you, your normal exorbitant salary. Compa- to what you'd you do have to it, do. You do it for 120 a night, I bet. 
I would for just to be on an hour. Every, I gotta come on every night for an hour. Every night, every night for an hour in some three, in some market, months. no knowing that nobody's gonna hear it because ain't nobody seeing this movie. So am I being interviewed or am I just hosting the hour? No, uh, you got to host. You got to work. You got to prepare. Oh, I don't know, man. I I, I I'm gonna need some money. I'm gonna need some money. Yeah. So uh, do we think? You think Kevin likes the art? Like he just saw the script and says, "You know what? This this touches me." Or well, Hey man, I'll take the four hundred grand or whatever it is. He's doing one of two things here. Um, it may actually be a good movie, and they just needed a good set, a, a little country town, and Thomasville fit the bill. Not unlike Mick and Nopey, uh, when they had Doc Hollywood with uh, Michael J. Fox back in the day. So you know, there there are weird locales for some of these movies. I remember Cocoon was shot a block from where I grew up in St. Pete. I'm gonna uh, bet this isn't Cocoon. Yeah, I'm gonna bet it's not a blockbuster like Cocoon as well. But uh, I will tell you. That uh, I don't know. I haven't seen the script. Hopefully, he chose it for artistic reasons, or he needed two point seven million dollars for a vacation to France. I, I, don't I was also going to say, I, I think you guys are overvaluing Kevin Bacon's like price now. Like he's not Le Leonardo DiCaprio. He's not a huge <laughs> movie star. Um, he, you know, I'm just looking at his IMDb. You hadn't heard of any of these movies, any of these things. <laughs> well, that's done. what, In fact, well, that's it's what been I'm saying. TV shows mostly. He's in a lot of TV shows. Late. City on a Hill, uh, Smilf, uh, Trimmers, <laughs> a TV movie, Duck, a film by Kevin Bacon, which was a short tour first to pharmacy. All, first of all, story you remember, of a girl. First of all, you remember when Trimmers came out? That was like twenty five. No, years. this was a new one. This was a TV movie, like a oh, remake yeah. that he was in. I'm, I'm talking about like Kevin Bacon. It's not 1990. Footloose didn't just hit the theaters, guys. It didn't. Let's quit showing our age. Half the people here don't know who Kevin Bacon is. Listen, oh, that's not true. Kevin Bacon's been in a million good let me, films, man. Let me ask you but this. They were all 20 years ago. No, ask, he's been in good stuff recently. So maybe maybe he's been the key to this whole recruiting surge. Maybe like <laughs> maybe the Norvell's selling the fact that Kevin Bacon's in the neighborhood to these recruits. Yeah, and they're like, and then, oh, yeah, man, I loved him in <laughs> Sleepers. He I, was knew great say, I knew you were going to say sleepers. You could have said Mystic River. That's more yeah, recent. Flatliners. Was, yeah. it, was he in that too? <laughs> yeah, with uh, with what's her face? Julia Roberts. Yeah, yeah. all the great ones. All the kids love Kevin Bacon, man. <laughs> yeah. They always have. But by, by the way, uh, Flatliners always intrigued me. Would you have let them kill you? No. Uh -uh. You wouldn't have. No. For a few minutes. Nope. No. Didn't. Wouldn't have trusted it. Well, okay. plus it doesn't interest me that much. Right. That stuff that happens after you die. Yeah. Like right there, that little two-minute window. A little window? A little window there? Yeah. So, Keeper Sutherland had it the worst. Remember that? That was... That was, yeah, it was yeah, we're we're alerting yeah, our yeah. audience to this movie, yes. Um, all right. So, back to the to the topic at hand. Anything we could do to redirect from the fact that that baseball team was fairly unwatchable over the weekend? And, Corey, I believe you took in all three. I did not. So, let's yeah. talk about each strikeout. You know, that's the thing is I in the column I wrote, like Florida State struck out 47 times this weekend, which is a lot. A few, a few. Yeah. Uh, well, Pitt struck out 44 times. Yeah, a lot of strikeouts. Kind of what college baseball, I think, is especially this team, because they're going to strike a lot of dudes out with their arms and they're going to get struck out a lot. The one difference is Florida State's hitters didn't have to face Florida State's staff and they still struck out 47 times, which is a which is very problematic. Um, but yeah, that wasn't, that wasn't, none of that so, was great. So Ira and I had a good conversation on the wildly popular, still present in the market, Jeff Cameron show weekdays, three to six. On I can't wait to hear that in Albuquerque yeah. in a couple months. 
and our discussion I thought was interesting. I want your thoughts on this, that I'm less concerned about the losses, although that's not great, not a good look to get swept at home by Pitt. Uh, but there's plenty of time and baseball's weird and the sample size is too small to make grand generalizations about what they'll be 30 games from now. We don't know. We'll see. But uh, what we were more intrigued by was Mike Martin Jr. having to go through this now as the head coach. And, you know, his dad had seen everything under the sun, like red hot starts where they couldn't be beaten and they'd won 25 straight. And then games and then stretches where they've got four or five guys slumping at the same time and they're losing the teams that they shouldn't and everything in between. And the psyche that's involved in dealing with that, because baseball is a game about what's between the years, man. It's a game of failure and you got to deal with that. It'll be interesting to see a guy who is pretty much a self-proclaimed red ass dealing with a bunch of guys who uh, uh, are domed up, as he put it. And and how does he handle that moving forward? Because obviously he's got to get them to play better. Yeah, that's that's probably like, look, you know, we know he can put together a roster that can win. He's been doing it for, I don't know, a decade yeah. or more now, really. I mean, that's kind of been what he's done at Florida State, but he hasn't been the voice in the clubhouse. And that is something we have to see. Um, and how much does that matter? Um, you know, I, I think it matters some. He, he, he always talks about how much he knows that the psychological part matters. He hired uh, psychological coaches. He thinks that's a really big, uh, really big part of a program. Um, but we'll see if that, if he can remind himself of that when he just blew another seven to, you know, two run lead in the ninth, how he handles that. I think that's, that's the one thing you don't know. You know, he can, you know, he can do the other things. Um, and you know, you know, he can put together a roster that can win, you know, he can, and he can put together an offense that typically can score some runs, but you don't know how he's going to handle a whole, uh, a whole team. And so, yeah, I, I don't know how that's going to go. It, it did not go well this weekend, for sure. Um, you know, I, I thought they, uh, you know, after they got the 7-3 lead on Sunday, they just, like, they throttled down. I don't think they even got a hit for five innings. And then they brought in um, Haney, who gave up the uh, the game-tying home run. So And then brought in another kid after that who was awesome. But even that didn't work out because the kid pitched probably, uh, you know, at least a couple batters too long and then gave up the game-winning double. So, it was just a bad weekend all around. But, I, I, you know, I would say this, and I wrote about it in the column, is this is usually the weekend they're playing Maine. And, and you figure out the pitching more as you go along. I, they, they, I know the, the, the numbers aren't great at all, pitching-wise. The run's allowed anyway. But they got some dudes, man. The Crowell kid was really impressive. Hubbard was really impressive. Davis Hare was impressive. Carson Montgomery was impressive his start before. Messick was impressive this start. They've got guys that I think, you know, they might have, they got guys, they got pro arms, but they got to figure out how to use them. And yeah, yeah, I'm less concerned about the arms because that's going to come in time. I'm just more concerned with the, you know, it's, it's, you know, you scored two runs in two games at home, the first two games of the series that what are we doing here, man? And the opposing starting pitcher set a career high in strikeouts both nights. The, uh, it seemed like the third game was more of a typical Florida State offense, like under Mike Martin Jr. Like, I mean, they they got guys on base. They yeah. they didn't they they just didn't drive them in. But that'll happen. Um, it's just for it to happen on the heels of those other two ridiculous offensive performances was a problem. Um, yeah, I mean, if they if they if they play offensively for the most part the way they did Sunday, they're going to win fine. a lot of baseball games. That's correct, you know, especially yeah. with that pitching staff. Yeah, the issue um, I have though is that Pitt, I almost felt like Bell was like, "Here you go, me. Here's a game." Like the arms he was throwing out in the middle of that game, they couldn't throw strikes. 
They would get behind 2-0. That's how Matt Nelson hit his home run. Another kid hit a ball off the wall on a 2-0 pitch because they kept getting behind. They couldn't throw strikes, and I think those were the bottom-of-the-barrel kids that Bell was throwing out there because on the road, you can only bring 27 guys. So mm-hmm. he was having to bring – you know, he didn't, he didn't have a depth of arms. Yeah. But what are you going to do when you're facing Virginia at home and they've got 100 guys? You're not going to face dudes that are going to walk the bases loaded and walk in runs, and typically, not this year. So I wonder, like, that's what concerned me the most was um, that was the bottom of the barrel. And they still, other than Cabell's home run, did nothing against those guys hitting-wise. They, they worked some walks. And, um, yeah, they just – but they didn't situationally hit, and they will. I mean, unless they just don't have the clutch gene, which I don't know <laughs> you can say about a, an entire team. But they, they, were, they were, I think, 0 for 15 with two outs in that game. 0 for 15. They didn't get a two-out hit the whole game. They were 0 for 15. And Pitt had six hits and scored seven runs that way. So that was the difference in that game. The first two games were problematic. Problematic. Like they it just, just opens your eyes. It just opens yeah. your eyes. We'll be paying a closer attention mm-hmm. now. To see, I, I'm not panicking, but it does open your eyes. What a little about bit. the basketball team? Are you panicking about that? Losing? No, I'm not the... panicking. I'm not panicking. But we're getting to that in the next segment. Don't you understand? Oh. I have this all set up. I've got. Oh, yeah, yeah. There, we, there you go. Seminal headlines continues in a moment. Seminal headlines will take a breather. More next. Seminal headlines returns now on 97.9 ESPN Radio. All right, wrapping up the hour before headliner questions. Yeah, that was a disappointing performance on the road against North Carolina. Not altogether stunning. I think what I didn't like, and I brought this up earlier, is isn't the fact that they continue to turn the ball over, especially on the road, and they don't shoot well on the road, which is troubling. They had the one game this year where they did against Louisville, but um, I, I, I can live with some of that. What I didn't like was there were moments of this game in the second half when things started going south that they looked panicked. And I haven't really seen that from this group. There's a stretch of about four minutes where they look buffoonish, throwing the ball around, absolutely pressing, guys kind of looking at one another, not knowing what to do. At some point, Raekwon tries to take over the game because I think he sensed that nobody else was going to try to. And so he just thought he could try to go to the basket. And I didn't blame him for that. He's clearly the leader of this team at this point. Um, But obviously he had to force it some. And then when he did get fouled, he didn't make his free throws, which is uncharacteristic. So, a bunch of things happen uh, that we're not used to seeing. I, I don't think it's necessarily, or I don't think it necessarily portends of a bunch of bad basketball ahead, but it is weird to see them look so flustered the way they looked in the second half of this game. And I thought really it was, a, they were flustered for about, it was about a seven or eight minute stretch. Yeah. And after yep. that, they played even with them. They got back to, they should have been within one if Barnes makes the dunk. That yep. would have cut it to one. And I think North Carolina starts to tighten up again. Uh, because it, for a while there early in the first half, it looked like Carolina was going to win going away, like the game was a wrap. But then Florida State rallied, found itself, got back in the game. Um, and look, man, I, I just think it's going to be really interesting. That, I think to me that, that – and I talked about this on Wake Up War Chain. I think what that game sets up is, okay, you're in the second round, you're playing a five seed. You, you have a nice run to end the first half. You're up nine or eleven going into the to halftime. Are you gonna? How long are you gonna wait to just say, you know what? How about we start with Scotty Barnes on the yeah. floor, yeah, and maybe maybe polite on the floor, and because I would say White Wilkes and Raquan Evans have had some moments, but if you're talking about the ten man rotation that they have, I would say they're nine and ten of that ten man rotation, and you're starting them, and normally it works out. Like normally you just kind of if you can hold water with them. Then you bring in your your starters, quote unquote, 
and you can expand the lead. That's 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 how they're fourteen and four. But sometimes it'll backfire. And those two, the starting lineup in that game on Saturday, played a total of I think six minutes. They got outscored nine to one. They didn't hit a basket while those five were on the floor together to start the half. And especially in the second half, that started the whole momentum. You, Raquan Evans in three possessions has two turnovers in a in a missed shot. And then you put Scotty Barnes in the game. Well, the train's already off the tracks at that point. So I wonder if – and we can criticize Roy all we want for a lot of things, including they just lost last night. Yeah. But Kessler played really well in the first half. And by God, Kessler started the second half on the court. He didn't go back to Baycott, who was struggling with fouls. He kept Kessler in the game, and that's what won him the game. And I wonder if – yeah, but also, forward. you know, Florida State had won nine of ten games coming into this game doing no, that. No, but, but again, they, 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 I didn't like how they answered. They, they did seem to get panicked and lose their composure. And they aren't playing great on the road. They don't shoot well on the road. Two of their best players are Polite and Barnes. And I just, whether they start or not, fine. Barnes played 22 minutes. Raquan Evans played 17. If Raquan continues to play like this, I don't know that that makes any sense moving forward. Again, you're, you're when probably, your season is on the line. You probably didn't hear it, but Ira and I did have this exact conversation. It was what I, I asked Ira about this yesterday. I said, look, and I'm, I'm a little harsher, and I understand Leonard Hamilton knows more than I could ever dream of knowing about basketball, but I, I want a lot more Barnes and a lot less of Raquan Evans. And that's not to say I'm washing my hands of Raquan Evans. He's had his moments this year. He's had his moments before. I like the kid, but right now he looks like he's devoid of confidence. The look on his face was that of a man who saw a ghost after his third turnover, and he opted out. He turned and looked at the bench before he came out. He knew damn well he wasn't going to see the court again and didn't need to. Um, that 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 was disturbing. And, and yes, Barnes is getting better and better. Uh, I, I'm with you on this. More Barnes, not less Barnes. I'll, two th- I'll say two things. Number one is we can't have it both ways. We we can marvel at the fact that they're able to play 11, 10, 11 guys. Like other coaches are constantly talking about that in their post-game press conferences. Well, man, they're they're playing 10 guys or playing 11 guys and they wear you down and all that. The, we, late in the pick game where the pick guys were just standing flat-footed and FSU's guys are going up and getting those offensive rebounds. Scotty Barnes is getting those putbacks. The reason that that works is because they do get those other guys to buy in and to, and to feel invested and to feel valued and to get to play. And then you get those situations where it pays off your benefit. So, yeah, I mean, there may be a situation where it backfires on you. The question is, 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 the, is the overall philosophy? Because if, if he had started doing this five games ago or six games ago, then maybe you lose Raquan Evans. You lose some of those guys because they're not as invested. I will say this, if we look back, I think if we look back at previous postseasons, they have shortened the, the bench a little bit, and they have um, changed up some of those roles a little bit. I don't know if you'd come out of halftime with a different starter. I don't know if you'd put Raquan at the bench, Raquan Evans on the bench um, to start a half or to start the game. Um, but I do think you'll see them shorten the bench when they need a win. I just don't think, you know, I don't know that that game is an indictment of what they've been doing. Is all no, it's not, and it is, it is reactionary because they lost and they started. So if you if the starting five can just hold water for a few minutes, you're bringing in the cavalry, and you 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 typically dominate the middle of each half. Like the it way Scotty came out. in when Scotty came in three or four minutes into the first half, and was just like a, a yeah. banshee. Yeah. I mean, he was clapping in dudes' faces, and but then what, he looked you know, like what if he what if the game starts like that and you're not in the hole. That you know, I don't think that Scotty Barnes uh, in in I think you know. So it's going to be the third straight year they've had a first round pick that was a bench player because Scotty apparently isn't just going to start anymore. Which again, that's what Leonard does. The difference though 
is that Patrick Williams was sharing time with Malik Osborne and Raekwon Gray. Patrick Williams is better than both those guys, but it's not a huge disparity. Those guys were productive. And the same thing with uh, Kamigeli and Kumaji. Kamigeli is better than Kumaji, but Kumaji had moments and the, the disparity. Right now, Raekwon Evans, through the last six games, is 3 of 21. Well, here, but here's the thing. The, from a big-picture perspective, again, part of the reason they started – Kumaji over Cabin Gelly, from what I my understanding was, they felt like if they started uh, Cabin Gelly, Kumaji wouldn't bring the same confidence in sure. the game when he got in the game because now he's coming off the bench. Oh, and, I know, get it. And the same thing so, with Osborne yeah. and, and Raekwon last year. I don't I don't see the confidence oozing from Raekwon Evans. Well, I'm I guess, saying, but it it was. It's just yeah. it's it's dipped. Yeah. The question is, can you get it back? Yeah, can you get it back? You're running out of time. you got two games left. They should win both these games, obviously. should be a nice night for senior night, beat Boston College. And you'll get – perhaps you'll get an effort from Notre Dame. Uh, if you do, obviously, you have to play hard to win that game. But they still can secure – uh, another ACC regular season title. Uh, we are nitpicking a little bit, but it's just because the standards have been raised to a place where expectations are very, very high now, and you get an opportunity to go into the NCAA tournament with a talented roster who we all, we've all said and agree their upside on their best night is that of a Final Four team, without question. And you just want to, you, you can't afford to have a bad night in the tournament. So how long do you wait on Raekwon? Depending on the team, you can't who you're playing, you can't afford to have a bad four-minute, five-minute stretch like they did against Carolina. That was the that was a wrap. If they, if they come out in the second half and hold water or, or go on a run of their own, the game's over. Yeah. So also, instead, they let Carolina get right back into it. But that's one game. That doesn't mean yeah. – Yeah. I just think about a Sweet 16 matchup with Baylor or Gonzaga or Michigan, and you're up six at half because Barnes has 11 and four, and Evans had zero points and two fouls. Do you then start the second half with Evans and then let Baylor or Michigan get right back into the game with Evans and Wilkes on the floor, um, who aren't your best defenders either? And then you bring Barnes in. Well, now the game cha- the game has changed, and now instead of having a comfortable that, that's lead. a decision they'll have to make, and it'll yeah. be fun to watch. I mean, it is. It's why we're it's debating. Have these conversations well, instead of wondering about you know if they're going to be in the NIT. Much better conversation. Much better conversation. It's fun to have expectations. It's fun to be disappointed because those expectations aren't met. And when those expectations are that, that you're going to win the conference and that you're going to be a three seed, yeah, we've come a long way. And the last thing I wanted to say, just because I want to have the last word, Corey. Sure. Um, You know, I'm glad you threw in the qualifier that if it was against Baylor or Gonzaga or somebody, because I do think people were not valuing North Carolina's athletic ability. I mean, they're, they're a different team from, they're a different, when FSU started getting flustered, it was emphasized, I think, because North Carolina is freakish athletically. That's yeah. why I beat Roy all the time. Yeah. So, so, so once those guys got confidence, like yeah. if you saw them play against Virginia where they lost confidence and they looked young, they were, they were awful. But once they got on that run now, and then you combine that with their athletic talents and their size and their strength. Now that's like, man, how are you going to overcome that? I do think in most cases, if FSU has a rough stretch like that, they've been able to overcome it because it's, you know, a team that they're better, that they're more, they're superior physically. And North Carolina is a team where they're not. Hour number two, forthcoming. Stay with, we'll get the headliner questions. Seminal headlines will take a breather. More next.